Welcome to the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. This is Chris from RimfireTactical.com, and I'm glad you're here. So with the last episode, um, it was all supposed to be based around match preparation and getting ready to shoot in a match, and specifically what would be good ideas, what would be good moves to make to help you be as prepared as possible for when you go to shoot a match. Unfortunately, for those that have already listened to the episode, or actually let's call it episodes, uh, we had a number of technical glitches while recording, and one episode turned into three. Um, in the near future, we'll be switching to a different podcast format, which should eliminate some of those hassles and uh, interruptions and things like that. But I do apologize. Uh, it's not my intent to put out uh, something quite like that. But uh, with each interruption, it was after a fair amount of content had already been shared. And uh, <laughs> what you don't know is there was actually a couple of recordings that happened before that first one, uh, before I made it that far into it. So like I said, going forward, uh, we're looking to eliminate that and believe we have a plan in place that will take care of it. Um, a second thing I wanted to talk about is kind of the direction and the plans for this podcast. When I had the idea to create this podcast earlier this year, my intent was never to just have me talking for 30 or 45 minutes or an hour. Uh, that's uh, uh, Not only is that something that sounds incredibly boring to me, but I'm sure it's, it sounds incredibly boring to you. And what we are uh, and have been planning for some time is to um, have a variety of speakers and guests on the show, uh, really a combination of folks from uh, individual shooters that are participating in maybe some local matches, uh, maybe even some of the folks that are local to me, but also some better known names in the NRL world, some of the sponsored shooters that are out there, um, some folks from Steel Challenge, as well as um, to bring on some match directors. And if everything goes according to plan, we'll also have some industry insiders, some um, people from gun manufacturers, hopefully some, some optics uh, manufacturers as well. So just wanted you to know that is the direction that we are uh, planning and looking to go to. And at this point, really, the biggest hangup has been uh, just getting the logistics worked out for doing a podcast over a phone call and believe we about have all of that taken care of. And so at this point, it's more of a scheduling issue. So within the next uh, couple of weeks, you'll start to hear some uh, guests on the podcast and like I said, my goal is to continue that format uh, going forward. Now, talking about the last podcast, um, the goal there was to really go into some detail and just give some ideas or some uh, thoughts on different ways that you can get prepared for a match. And some of this preparation will definitely depend on the type of match that you're shooting in. Um, it also depends to an extent on what you have available. And I totally realize that. Um, 
But I, I wanted to try to provide some insight, just some things that I've done in the past, and really um, try to help, you know, maybe explain a little bit more about why I've done those things a certain way and and maybe the benefits or drawbacks uh, to doing it that way. Um, now, for those of you who are part of the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group, um, I'm sure you've seen by now, probably seen some of the pictures that I'd shared from the match that I shot in, which is the match I was actually talking about in the match preparation uh, podcast. And one of the things that I was talking about is trying to decide specifically which uh, rifle to shoot in a particular match and kind of also shared some some different pictures of, you know, talking about different things that I guess were a part of that podcast. And I wanted to address some different things, some different comments and some different messages that were sent to me as some things that people asked if I would go into a little bit more detail on or maybe explain uh, if, I, if I didn't mention it at all. And just for a, a quick little two-minute recap, I talked a lot about uh, trying to make sure you had all your gear together and uh, trying to decide on which um, firearm you're going to use and maybe some of the rationale behind um, each of those. So to carry that forward, in this particular match, there's actually two different matches. Both of them are, are shooting the same silhouette type targets uh, from 80 yards out to 200, but they're ran in a, uh, a format where, uh, at least with the traditional matches, uh, you'd have an unlimited match where you can shoot any type of rimfire rifle, including um, 17 Mach 2, 17 HMR, or 22 Magnum, as well as the 22 Long Rifle. Um, but there was no limitations on scopes or rifles. Uh, the only limitation was if you're using a one-piece rest, you can't use a um, you can't use the windage front. You can only use it for elevation. When it comes to the second match, which is typically shot after the first match, it's referred to as the squirrel match, squirrel rifle match, and and that's the one that I mentioned, which is basically a factory rifle. Uh, the optics have to be turned down to nine power. And essentially, that's the only real um, qualifiers. Can't be a rifle that's been rebarreled. Uh, if you've changed the trigger or anything like that, that's considered a modification to the rifle. When I got to the match yesterday, I still, on the way to the match, I was still trying to decide for sure which rifle I was going to shoot. So I'd taken several with me. And when I got there, I found out that in actuality, uh, the way they were going to do the match yesterday, they were essentially uh, just going to have one match with multiple uh, you could, multiple shooters shooting different classes all at the same time. And if you want to shoot more than one rifle, you could. And so uh, that is one of the things that helped me decide to not only shoot the new-to-me um, Voodoo Apparition, in the red J. Allen chassis, but also uh, I shot that one in the first match, and then I shot the Don Shoot seventeen twenty seven. Um, I shot that as a second gun in that same match, and so as a part of 
shooting that match, my, my main decision on shooting the voodoo first has to do with something that I think I shared some pics of, but probably didn't really talk about a lot in the previous podcast. Um, a huge benefit to me at least, and I think from just watching others in different matches, I think it could be a huge benefit for them as well, would be the fact that um, if you ha- are in a position where you can have multiple magazines for your rifle, that would be a big, big benefit. And often what I watch uh, happen at different matches is a lot of shooters will shoot either a single shot rifle, um, you know, bolt action rifle, but it's a single shot. Maybe it's non shoots 54 match or something like that. And then others, even though they have a repeating rifle, they'll choose to shoot with a single shot adapter in that rifle, whether it's a CZ or a, an on shoots or whatever type of rifle it happens to be, they'll have that single shot adapter in there. And the perk of doing that is they're forced to take their time and to focus on what they're doing from shot to shot. For me personally, that is not exactly the way that I enjoy shooting. I am much more of a put a 10 round magazine in that rifle and uh, run that bolt as quickly as I can if I'm trying to uh, fight the wind or anything like that. But that's just my preference. So one of the biggest benefits or keys for me shooting these matches is the night before I shoot the match, I make it a point to load all of the magazines that I have for that rifle whether it's a voodoo, an on-shoots, a kid, whatever rifle I'm shooting, I'm going to load all of the magazines that I have for that rifle the night before so that when I show up to the match, if everything goes according to plan and I have enough magazines, I don't have to take time in between relays or anything like that to load magazines. And you may say, well, Chris, that's just being lazy. And you know what? It probably is. But it's more for me, uh, not so much about being lazy. It's more about just being distracted with something else. And anyone who shoots rimfire very much will absolutely understand what I'm about to say. But whether you're shooting Lapua ammo or Ely or even if you're shooting some federal or CCI or whatever it happens to be, that ammunition has wax or some sort of lubricant on it. And what's most important when you're out shooting a match, or at least for in my circumstances, I try to keep my hands as clean as possible. I try to keep as much of that uh, the lube from the bullets off my hands because it just seems like it complicates things and I end up with it on um, <laughs> trigger and everything else or my magazine release. And when it's 85, 90 degrees and pushing 100% humidity sometimes at a match, that's just one more thing to deal with. So for that reason, on the night before shooting that match, I happen to have, uh, I believe it's a total of about 18 magazines now for my voodoos and I 
loaded all those up. So uh, I, you know, went to the match with 180 rounds loaded in magazines for a match that will only require 40 rounds for score. Now you are uh, allowed unlimited ciders and it's been my experience at the different matches that there, sometimes there's a new shooter there or two. And other times there's people who will have a question about um, maybe the voodoo or a different rifle. And um, I'm a big fan of letting people try out uh, my rifles and, or, you know, maybe they're not, they don't care about the rifle, but maybe they, they would like to take some shots looking through the scope, whatever the case may be. But I'm a big fan of having plenty of extra ammo on hand just for that very reason. So I was able to go to that match and sit down, shoot the match, have plenty of rounds left over, uh, even to the point of loaning my rifle uh, to a young shooter that was there. Um, he actually used my rifle for the 200 round, or I'm sorry, 200 yard uh, targets just to try it out. And uh, um, great young man. He's a good shooter, but uh, been shooting his 1022 and and was shooting very well with it. But he was able to take the voodoo and, and hit nine out of ten rams at 200, uh, never having sat down behind the rifle before. So, um, but anyway, getting back to it, the whole the whole purpose of me talking about this was just the fact that, like I said, I went to the match with all of my magazines loaded up. So that when I went from stage to stage, all I had to do was put the empty magazines, put those away in a range bag, put the, and then just keep, make sure I had the loaded ones with me. And while I'm on the subject of uh, the voodoo in particular, I know someone made a comment or mentioned a, um, a way that I was carrying my magazines a few years ago while in one of the big box stores, I'm not sure if it was Walmart or um, who knows where at this point, but while in a store, I happened to notice uh, several of the, the plastic ammo cans that are, uh, I think they're made by Plano, and there's a lot of those plastic ones that are basically the same size and shape as, as your typical metal ammo can, and then they had some that were shorter that are made for shotgun rounds or shotgun uh, boxes of shotgun shells. And so when I was looking at those, I thought, man, that's a, that's a perfect size to fit uh, bricks of bulk pack ammo in and uh, for 22s. Um, to me, that was just a really good size that I could take one of those and load it up with four boxes of maybe the federal 550 round bulk pack ammo or something like that and be able to go out to the range and uh, shoot uh, just a tremendous amount and have everything sort of contained there. And so um, I picked up quite a few of those and, and really where those come in handy are whether I'm shooting my, my Smith Wesson 1522s or some of my handguns or things like that, that um, I just use that, that bulk ammo for. But anyway, um, something I, I, I started thinking about how to keep my Voodoo magazines 
uh, all together because in some of the matches I shoot, I've got the only voodoo there. In other matches, mine's one of four or five. And although I'm not necessarily worried about someone trying to take my magazines on purpose or anything like that, what I did think through is when I'm moving from bench to bench in some of these matches, you have to move everything. And so to get everything set up on one bench, and then I'm having to move to a different bench for the next relay, you know, if I've got four, five, six magazines laid out there, then um, clearly uh, I shouldn't need that many to, sh to shoot a particular stage. But at the same time, there's no reason to have to get up and get walk away from the rifle and everything in the middle of a, a 10 minute string just because you've ran out of ammo. And so for that reason, it just, you know, it seems complicated to move the rifle, move the bags, move the stool, move this, move that. And I got to look at that little Plano case and realized, Hey, this is the perfect height for the voodoo mags. And sure enough, I tried them in there and figured out that I can fit 12, um, 12 to 15 voodoo mags in there with no problem. And I thought, you know, problem solved. This is an easy way for me to be able to put all my magazines together, or a majority of them anyway, put them in that case. And then when I go up to the line to shoot, I can take the case, open it up. I've got 15 loaded um, magazines there. And as I um, shoot through them, I can just rotate those out. Uh, the ones that are empty, you know, I can put them towards the back, the full ones towards the front, and it's just an easy way for me to, to keep it all contained. So just something to mention there, but I loaded all those magazines up for the Voodoo, getting ready for the match. And then I also loaded up all the, the magazines I had for the on-shoots. Now in every match that I shoot, there are quite a few on-shoots shooters there. Some of them are shooting the single shots I mentioned before. Others are shooting repeaters, whether they're 54 action or 64 action. For that reason, I've been trying to keep track or find a way to, a better way to keep track of my on-shoots magazines. And I actually, um, I, I guess you could say I um, built a little workaround. I took a case guard ammo box designed for loaded ammo. I pulled the inserts out and uh, cut some some of the closed cell foam and put inside of it and then was able to stand up my magazines inside of there. And uh, the particular one that I'm using, it's, it's designed for 50 rounds of uh, some center fire. <laughs> I'm not, not even sure. I want to say it's maybe a 30 out six or 270, um, case length. But, um, but like I said, I pulled the inserts out. And so I was able to just put the foam, um, the foam inside that had been cut with slots for magazines. And then that way, much in the same way as with the voodoo mags, whenever I am shooting one of the, my on shoots and I go up to um, the stage to shoot. I can take this little case guard with me, open it up, and all my magazines are inside that. They are base plate up 
so that I can just reach over quickly, grab one out, and be able to insert it in the rifle and move right on. And it doesn't sound like a lot loading the magazines before the match, but I can tell you I've done this for the better part of a year now, uh, whether I'm shooting, like I said, an on-shoots, a Kimber, um, my kid, um, my kid rifle in particular, it just seems like 10, 22 magazines multiply my, my house and I have a ton of them. Um, but like I said, on shoots, the kid, the Kimber, um, the Voodoos, you know, any of those rifles that I have, it's always been a goal of mine to have plenty of extra magazines, mainly because nothing is as bad as only having one or maybe two magazines for a rifle. And if for any reason they get separated and you can't find it, now you have a magazine-fed rifle with no magazine in it, and it's a glorified single shot. So that is not the ideal scenario. I think you'd all agree with that. But to go into a little bit of detail about the match itself, uh, when I got there, it turned out to be a smaller group of shooters than normal Um it has not been uncommon at this match in the past to have anywhere from 25 to 30 shooters. If I counted correctly yesterday, I believe we ended up with 15 total shooters. And and there was a broad range of uh, classes that were being shot. The way that the match director decided to run the match yesterday, it was basically when you are registering for the match, you're letting them know, I want to shoot one rifle or two rifles or however many rifles you want to shoot, but you're going to shoot in unlimited class or um, squirrel class or, and I believe there was two other classes and I, I cannot remember right now what those were called, but basically we're all shooting at the same time and it's just a matter of keeping track of, of your score and it's an honor system. These matches don't have any, there's no, prize table. There's no money on the line. Um, there's nothing more than just having a great time and, and maybe a little bit of bragging rights until the next match. Uh, that's, that's all that you're really competing for. But, um, it was a cool morning. And as we were getting started, it was interesting just looking around. There's a broad range of rifles that were being shot. Everything from, um, some older on shoots rifles to, uh, some a new CZ 457, a Thompson Contender. Um, there was a Ruger 1022 being shot, um, a CZ 452 Varmint, and even a uh, a couple of Savage rifles. So, like I said, just a a good mix of of rifles and a good mix of optics. Everything from um, older Bushnell three to nine sport view scopes to um, some Bausch and Lomb varmint type scopes and Bushnell scopes like that. Um, some Cabela's branded scopes. A few of the shooters were using the SWFA um, 20 power. We, I still call them the super snipers. Um, and then you had um, me with, um, I had the 7-35 to attack R on my Voodoo and 
a Schmidt and Bender PM2 on the 1727. The match got off to a really good start. Uh, lots of folks were doing really well with the chickens at 80 yards. A um, few shooters were were clean after the chickens, and uh, I think a few shooters were even clean through. The chickens are at 80 yards. The turkeys are, or I'm sorry, chickens are at 80 yards. Pigs are at 120, and several shooters were clean with um, no misses through the chickens and the pigs. The turkeys, um, they they got everybody at least once, if not twice, uh, myself included, on uh, uh, on the round when I was shooting the voodoo. I was 10 for 10 on the chickens, 10 for 10 on the pigs. On the turkeys, I missed two and have no idea where those, those shots went. The way that the the bank falls away behind the target stands, uh, even though it's incredibly dry and has, hasn't rained in, gosh, probably a month at this point, there's a lot of tall weeds directly behind the target stand, and so it's very, very difficult to spot your hits. Uh, all I can tell you is that I, I missed two turkeys, and so going into the Rams, um, I really felt like I would need to clean the Rams in order to pull off a win because typically at this match, um, you need a at least a 38, if not a 39 out of 40 to win. Uh, so far, since this match was started, we haven't had anyone shoot a perfect score. And of course, every time I shoot that match, that's, that's my goal is I want to shoot that perfect 40 score. Um, more so than anything, just because I, I want I want that perfection. It's not necessarily trying to, you know, go and tell everybody else, hey, look, I, I beat your score or whatever. But it's just a personal goal that I have. When I got to the Rams, the wind had really started to pick up, and um, I, the wind was actually um, to the point where I was holding 0.4 mils into the wind. And uh, fortunately, elevation was um, very consistent. And so with the exception of one puff of wind that I totally missed, uh, I didn't catch it and see it at all. I had one round that just flew over the top of a ram, but uh, the other nine were center punched. And so I ended up getting... Nine of the 10 Rams for a total score of a 37 and was fortunate enough to uh, win the match. Uh, the overall scoring on the match, as well as the unlimited class with that 37. Um, as soon as I finished with the voodoo, I was told, hey, Chris, there's an open bench. Why don't you come on down? And so I. Um, told us, you know, no problem. Let me, I just want to grab this other rifle. And it was about that time that the junior shooter I mentioned before, um, young man, uh, he was, he had mentioned something about the voodoo a couple of times. And I said, Hey, I said, you're getting ready to shoot the 200. Do you want to shoot this thing? And, and, um, you know, I, I think he was pretty excited to shoot it. And so he, like I said before, he, uh, I got him all set up, made sure he had plenty of magazines and, and, I had just finished shooting 200, so the scope was dead, 
dead on ready to roll. And, um, so I had to go to the car really quickly and, and grab the 1727. A couple of things that, uh, really, um, was just astonished by is, you know, some, some simple yet, um, big mistakes that I made during the match uh, or getting ready for this match. And one of them was that I, in a hurry, um, grabbed an Atlas bipod and put it on the 1727 and just didn't pay attention to it. And I've been fortunate through the years as I've picked up some different rifles, um, especially some when uh, maybe someone was selling one or uh, I've done some trading and things like that. I've ended up with several of the Atlas bipods um, coming as part of, of trades that I've done or rifles I've bought. And then I've also ended up with a, um, you know, taking advantage of some deals that Atlas has had at different times, whether it's at Thanksgiving or Christmas time or something like that. But in being in a hurry and not paying attention, I grabbed um, one of my taller, it's actually the only taller Atlas bipod that I have, and I just didn't pay attention to it. Um, and so when I got there, like I said, I'm in a hurry. Um, they're waiting on me to to start the next round. They're waiting on me to go to my vehicle, grab my, my case, get the rifle, not just out of the case, but grab the magazines, get everything set up, and uh, go. And so when I got to the bench, I set the rifle down, and I'm, I'm flipping the, the Atlas down. I'm looking at it like, man, that looks really tall. And I didn't have a rear bag tall enough to, to be able to really accommodate the Atlas. And so I ended up with a rear bag uh, set up on the bench. And then actually, um, I always keep a, a small, um, we used to call it a squeeze bag, but basically just a small rear bag that uh, I would use if I'm shooting prone or something like that. And it's, it's just a, a quick, easy bag that I can put under the buttstock and be able to squeeze it to get a bit more elevation. But I keep that in my, uh, my car uh, or truck, SUV, call it whatever you want. I keep it in there because it's, that way it's always going to be with me. And so I had to turn around and run back to the vehicle and have a rear bag within the squeeze bag laying on top of it just to get enough elevation and with the buttstock so that I could um, be on target without just basically um, keeping the the rear of the stock just tucked in my shoulder with, with not really any rear support. And I know what you guys are going to say. I would say the same thing. Chris, that's lazy. That's pathetic. I can't believe you had to go to all that trouble. And I will tell you that you're absolutely right. But that's the way that this game gets played. It's the way that uh, all the other shooters uh, shoot. And so my thing is, I mentioned it a few minutes ago, I've never shot a 40 in this match. And that's something I really, really want to do. And so I have no shame in telling you that uh, I was going to take advantage of, of everything that's offered or being offered as part of the match. So. I finally get everything, I guess you could say, set up about as well as I can. And uh, once again, was able to uh, shoot all the, go, or go 10 for 10 on the chickens. 
10 for 10 on the pigs. I did get um, bit again by two of the turkeys and ended up with um, being down two points out of, uh, out of 30 at that point. And then once I moved on over to the Rams, was able to go nine for, or I'm sorry, uh, eight for 10 there. I missed two Rams and ended up with a 36 out of 40 with a 1727, which ended up, I didn't find this out until after the, uh, after we were shooting, done shooting for the day, but found out that actually the 36 that I shot with the 1727 actually was the second highest score overall in the match. And um, so I was fortunate enough to take first place and second place. And I shot and I just, I told the, the match director I was shooting unlimited because the way that, that he was describing unlimited, um, it has, you know, any rifle that had adjustable cheek piece, um, different things like that. They were considering those all to be unlimited. So, um, I just, you know, said I was shooting both those rifles in that class, but ultimately, well, like I said, was able to shoot a 37 with the voodoo, a 36 with the 1727 and, um, fortunate enough to take first and second place in the, um, in the actual match. I had originally, uh, described it as winning both matches because I still think in terms of we typically would shoot the unlimited match first and then that squirrel rifle match. But, uh, so like the second time through is, is more, you know, it's typically been referred to as a second match, but, uh, uh, after looking at the scores and things like that, uh, the way it was described is more of a, uh, um, just one long match with each shooter being able to shoot as many rifles as they want. But ultimately, you know, the aftermatch report as uh, I guess you could call it, I can't say enough good things about the Voodoo rifles. Um, it's no secret. I'm a huge fan of those rifles, of the company, of everything that they do. But um, the rifle I shot, it is a new to me um, Voodoo apparition. It's one that a very good friend of mine purchased. Uh, earlier this year, or actually he had ordered it late last year and but it came in in January and unfortunately his work schedule had just, it's prevented him from doing any shooting with it this year. Um, he's only been able to put 30 rounds through it. Um, just enough basically to get a 50 yard zero and to shoot a few groups with it. Um, when he wasn't working as much overtime earlier in the spring, we had a tremendous amount of rain and even on the day that he was able to get out to the range, we ended up getting um, a very hard storm that day. And so those 30 rounds is all he was able to actually get through the rifle. And um, when he reached out to me uh, about a month ago and said, you know, hey, Chris, I'm, I'm looking to uh, let this thing go because it's way too nice for a rifle to just sit here not being shot. And, uh, you know, there's some other things I can do with that money right now, which uh, let's face it, uh, I believe we've all been there and done that at different times. Um, but it, what's interesting about this rifle is when he ordered it, he had looked at my Voodoo Ridgeback, and we talked a bit more about the um, the different options at Voodoo. And when we pulled up the website, 
I had immediately showed him, I said, this is actually the rifle I wanted to buy or have built, but I just couldn't afford it. And that this is back when uh, Voodoo on their website, they actually had the, uh, the Jay Allen apparition. That was the very first picture that you would see on their website. It was the bright red Jay Allen chassis with a 20 inch um, barreled action that was Cerakoted black with the large bolt knob. And I, I told him, I said, that's actually, that's the exact rifle that I wanted. I just, like I said, I couldn't, couldn't spend that much on it. And he started asking a couple of details, you know, wanting to make sure with, um, what, what's the particular, uh, particulars on the barrel and the, and that I had used with my rifle and what trigger and, and what's interesting about it is he act, he ended up ordering that rifle, red J Allen chassis, 20 inch, um, threaded Bartland barrel in the Kukri contour, uh, trigger tech diamond flat blade. Um, he ordered the rifle that I had completely specked out. So it was, it was absolutely perfect. And, uh, like I said, when he offered me the opportunity to buy it, he, he said, you know, Hey man, this, this, you know, before I, I offered to sell it to anybody else, I want to offer it to you because you actually helped me spec this rifle out. And to me, it's perfect. It was a huge, huge blessing. I mean, absolutely a huge blessing. And, um, because of the timing of being able to pick that rifle up from him and just some commitments I had with work and family, I wasn't able to shoot that rifle until I got to the match. So first and foremost, let me just tell you, it, uh, it is every bit as amazing as I thought it would be. Um, I'm a huge fan of the trigger tech diamond triggers. And, uh, this one was already set right about the same as my Ridgeback, somewhere between six to eight ounces. Uh, unfortunately I don't have a trigger pull gauge that goes that low. But it's perfect, no creep, uh, no slack, just an absolutely perfect, perfect um, trigger. And the J Allen chassis, it's got to be one of the most comfortable chassis I've ever been behind. Um, I had a number of people who asked me about the accuracy of the rifle. And um, again, I still have not shot that chassis. Haven't shot it on uh, paper at all. So I can't tell you one single thing about the groups uh, outside of just what I could, uh, what I could see on the steel. That's the only thing I could, I could tell you. I will be getting it out, of course, and shooting it on paper just to see what the groups are like at 50 and 100 and 200 yards. But that is, uh, um, like I said, I'll, I'll have to report back as far as that goes. But one of the main deciding factors that outside of the fact that it's what I had always or wanted since I'd seen a picture of it to begin with, one of the main things that really helped push me over the top with buying this particular rifle was uh, the conversation that I had had with Paul Parrott at Voodoo. And he was actually the person who had shared with me that uh, Jay Allen had went out of business and 
you know, typically when when a, a company goes out of business, if they have a product that is truly as popular as the Jayon chassis are, I could absolutely see those going up in value. And whether or not that happens doesn't really matter. Um, not, at least not, you know, in this scenario, not for me. This is just a rifle that I wanted, and um, I just I jumped at the opportunity. But like I said, uh, it was so much fun to shoot. It was absolutely perfect in every way. So if you have a chance to either get behind one and shoot it or pick one up, I would I will tell you all day it's to me well worth the price of admission. But getting back to a couple of other things about the match itself, you know, I mentioned before how big of a deal it was to me to have those magazines loaded up. Well part of the reason for that is you know, I didn't have to load any Voodoo magazines from the time that, that the match started, even after uh, letting some other folks shoot it, including the, uh, the young man who shot the 200-yard stage. You know, I still came home with magazines that were loaded, which was fantastic because that ended up, or that prevented me from having to spend any time loading those magazines. Unfortunately, with the on shoots, I don't have enough magazines. Um, I had plenty. I shouldn't say that. I had plenty of magazines to wear with the loaded rounds. I was able to make it all the way through match without um, having to load up some or, um, you know, reload some of the magazines. I still chose to do that, though, and have some uh, or reload some of them just in case. Um, I think I have... I've recently purchased a bunch of extra ones. Um, I think I have a total of 10 of the 10 round on shoots mags. And then it uh, seems like I have four or five, maybe six um, of the five round magazines. But those 10 round magazines, I think on shoots rifles are as, as just as good as anything out there. But I absolutely despise their 10 round magazines. Um, it's just been my experience uh, and still my experience with them that you can typically or I can typically load six to maybe seven rounds in a magazine. And then that seventh or eighth round, uh, I almost end up crimping or putting an indent in the round that's already loaded in the magazine with the rim of the next round and fighting and fighting to get that seventh round and that eighth round and that ninth round and tenth round in the magazine. It's almost like there's burrs or something inside of there. And, um, that's really the, the issues and my frustrations with the 10 round magazines from on shoots is what initially really drew me towards being interested in the voodoos because I like shooting bolt action rifles more than I do semi-autos. And, um, I, I just had never had any real success with the other um, 10 round rimfire magazines out there. Um, the Ruger 10 round magazines, of course, for the 1022s and the 7722s and the Americans, those are fantastic magazines, but I've never really had a lot of success with the 7722s or the Americans as far as giving me the type of performance I'd like to have. So those, the Voodoo magazines, like I said, that's, it, it's what really sets them apart. Uh, or set them apart and 
of course, since then, just the entire package um, just makes them stand out so much more. But, but again, um, during the match, I was fortunate enough to um, not be forced to to load up or reload some of those on shoots magazines after I had shot them empty, but I still continued to do that uh, just just so that there would be no issues. Now, one thing I want to mention that was brought up to me by one of the shooters at the match. Um, his comment was, man, you shoot fast. I mean, wow, you shoot fast. And uh, he wasn't saying like it was a compliment, more like, what the heck are you doing? But when when I'm shooting in a match, and I'm certainly not the authority in any way, shape, or form, but um, you know, this will be a question that I'm going to ask every uh, person that I have as a guest on this podcast, I want them to describe their thought process when shooting a, uh, shooting a stage or shooting in a match. My thought process has always been if the wind is consistent, whether it's no wind, it's three miles an hour, five miles an hour, 10 miles an hour. If it's consistent, then, you know, I can, I can work with that. And Something I try to do whenever I'm shooting at whatever distance, whether it's 80 yards or 200 or in some other matches, you know, 300, 350, 400, whatever the case may be. If I can find some consistency in the wind, a lot of times I will run the bolt fairly quick um, just to try to to go from target to target in the same wind condition and not have to get three or four targets in and because I'm waiting 30 or 40 seconds or a minute between shots. And I was dealing with a, a six mile per hour, uh, full value wind right to left. And now instead of that six mile an hour, um, right to left, I'm now dealing with an eight mile an hour, um, left to, to right quartering or whatever the case may be. And, um, don't worry about, you know, the wind. I'm, I'm going to have some folks on specifically just to talk about wind that are much better shooters than me, but I'm just kind of explaining my thought process behind it. So one of the things that I do in these particular matches, you're in, you have an unlimited number of cider rounds that you can shoot at a cider plate. And these plates are eight by 10, Actually, they're probably a little bit bigger, maybe maybe about a 12 by 14 steel uh, plate. And they're painted white, of course. And essentially, uh, you can shoot as many cider shots as you want. But once you start shooting at the silhouettes, you can shoot five silhouettes or shoot at five silhouettes. And then you can come back and go back to the cider plate to shoot some more cider shots. But you can't shoot at a silhouette and then go back to the plate or the the, um, uh, the practice plate and then go back to silhouettes. And you can't keep going back and forth. You either have to shoot at least five of the silhouettes or shoot at them. And then you can go back to the, the side and plate. And then once you go back to the, the silhouettes the second time for the, the second five, that's part of that 10 shot string or that 10 round string, um, you have to stay on the silhouettes. So a lot of times in these matches, what I've 
learned just from experience what works best for me is that if I have, if I'm shooting a rifle that I have 10 round magazines available for, what I tend to do is even if I've only fired maybe two or three rounds at that side end plate, when I'm ready to start shooting my targets, I will drop that magazine, put a fresh 10 round magazine in and know that the next 10 rounds, unless just a terrific wind comes up or something um, catastrophic happens with the conditions, I know that the next 10 rounds I fire are coming from that magazine and they're all uh, being shot at the targets that uh, the silhouettes I'm shooting at. And so that way I'm not maybe, you know, three silhouettes or four silhouettes or two silhouettes or I've even had this happen before. I would have one target left and the wind conditions were perfect. Um, you know, I'm in a good rhythm. I'm moving right along. And with one target left, uh, I have an empty magazine. And now I'm having to drop the magazine, pop in a fresh magazine, just to fire that one round. And I know that it sounds trivial, but in that, you know, five to 10 seconds, unless you're just really hurrying, that five to 10 seconds that it takes to drop the magazine, put the, the new one in, chamber the round, get back on target, the wind conditions can change. And, you know, when they change, that one round could be the difference between you winning a match or not. It could also be the difference in, and I had this happen to me in a match last year. I was tied, I tied for the win in the match, but when we were shooting in the shoot off, I had to change my magazine in the middle of the shoot off and I missed the next, the, the very first round after switching magazines, um, it took me a little bit longer than it should have. And, you know, whether I rushed the shot, which I will tell you, I probably did, or there was a little bit of wind change that I just didn't notice in either case, I lost that match, uh, because of, uh, the shoot off. And one of the things that happened as, as part of the, as part of that shoot off, was that I had to do a magazine change, which I wouldn't have had to do had I been paying attention and just put a fresh magazine in. So, you know, that's a, uh, that's something that has worked very well for me. And as I mentioned before, when, when the fellow said that about, uh, me shooting so fast, I have, I've watched different shooters with different approaches. And I see a lot of folks that are very, slow and deliberate with the way that they shoot and they shoot fantastic scores and that works for them. For me, that has, um, I guess you could say that that gives me too much time to think and that's not always, um, a good thing for me. And so when I find that the conditions are steady and I'm where I need to be, I have no problem, uh, being on target and running the bolt. Um, as one shooter years ago, I heard him describe it. He said, you shoot, he said, you run the bolt and shoot with authority. And he had this real strong Northern accent, but I've always laughed at it, but that's exactly what I do. And, um, I've had a lot of people ask me to compare the 1727 to the on shoots. And I'm, 
I've only shot bolt actions for years and I'm fairly efficient with those, but I will tell you that 1727, it's just a little bit faster to run than it's actually a lot faster uh, for someone who's got some practice with it and, and is much more efficient than I am with it. But I can run that thing um, fairly quick and because it's just straight back and straightforward, uh, it, it's, you know, a little faster to get shots down range. And, uh, I actually had someone ask me at one point if that thing was a semi-auto because it sounded like I was shooting so fast. So anyway, that's, uh, a whole lot of information about, you know, the, the individual match I shot and just some takeaways that I have from it. Um, a few other little things that may be beneficial if you've never shot a match before and you are planning to uh, to come out and bring whatever rifle you have, by all means, bring it. There was some folks that came out that didn't want to, or they didn't bring a rifle because they said they came to the match just wanting to watch and not shoot. And so several of us offered up rifles and eventually they ended up, uh, I think, shooting somebody's uh, just a, a stock 10-22 with a, um, I think it was a four power scope on it. And while they had fun with it, um, you know, obviously it was a little bit difficult for them. It's a rifle they didn't know. The trigger was a little heavier. Some bulk pack ammo didn't help. The four power scope in the hands of somebody that is very familiar with what they're doing um, might not be that big of an issue. But these guys, uh, or this fellow in particular, they were having a little bit of a challenge with, uh, you know, trying to figure out. Um, they couldn't dial for elevation, so they were having to hold over the targets and hold for wind, and uh, that was problematic. So, you know, if you're coming, if you're going to come out to a match, you'll hear this time and time again, both in the group, on the podcast. Take your time, um, go out to the range, try to get your drop down, the bullet drop down. Um, just write down on a notepad. Just it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. Um, you can use ballistic calculators and things like that, and those are accurate to an extent. And we're going to talk about those in a future episode. But you really need to shoot your rifle with your ammunition to see what the actual drop is, because sometimes that ballistic calculator could be accurate for some of the ranges, but off for others. And if you, uh, if you have a lower powered scope, as an example, just lower magnification, you may not be able to spot your hits and realize that where you're coming up short and either you're, or maybe you're, you're instead of, um, the bullet striking low, you might be overshooting a target and not realize it as well. So, with all that being said, by all means, if you have a chance to go shoot a match, don't don't do what I did in the past and plan to get everything just right and be perfect before I went to shoot a match. And because I wanted everything to be perfect, I procrastinated and I waited and I missed match after match after match before I finally just said, you know what, I'm just going to go and shoot it and see what happens. And, um, that's the only way to fly. So please, if you have a chance to go shoot a match of any sort, I encourage you to go do it. Lastly, one of the things that will really help this podcast grow in popularity, um, which will help us to get some of the industry insiders that I'm hoping to bring onto the podcast, 
Um, and to give you an idea, I'm looking to have people from Onshoots. I'm looking to have people from um, Kid, maybe Tony Kid, someone like that from from um, Kid Innovations. Um, love to have Paul Parrott or Mike Bush or somebody from Voodoo on. And one of the things that's going to help us be able to convince them to come on the podcast is to not only see the number of listens, you know, the number of downloads that have happened, but equally important, the number of reviews. And those reviews can be done on any podcast format. Um, the podcast is now carried on iTunes along with Spotify. Uh, Podbean is coming. So Google, um, Google Podcasts, it's already there. So wherever you listen to this podcast, please, 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 I can't stress this enough. Give us a review, you know, preferably a five-star review. That would be cool of you. But hey, even if you if you just say, you know what, Chris is boring and I don't want to listen to it anymore, give us a review. Reviews help. And um, the, the more reviews we get, the higher ranking the podcast will achieve in on the different podcast formats. And the higher rank it achieves, the more often it is recommended to people who are downloading similar podcasts. And ultimately, like like I said, that's my goal is to get the listen or the downloads up and the reviews up because that's what is going to help convince folks, uh, especially in the industry, who are already pressed for time and getting tons of requests for interviews and things like that, that's what's going to help them make a, or make a decision to come on the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. Last thing I'll say, whenever you have a chance to go shoot, take a friend, have a blast, take your Rimfires, have lots and lots of fun, and remember, it's not just a 22. Thanks for listening.